Hey everyone, this is Michael Russell. Welcome to another episode of the Walk-Ins Welcome Podcast. I'm joined as always by... Gary Okazaki, Gary the Foodie. Hello everybody. What's up Gary? How you been man? <laughs> a little tired, been on the road a lot, but I'm hanging in there. I'm always impressed with your travels and one of the first things we like to do on this show is just kind of get a rundown of where you've been. So where you been? Since the last, ep- well since the second episode, I talked about Toronto and since then I've been to... Miami for three nights, Peru for six, Dallas inadvertently for one because I missed a connection. So I ended up just spending the night in Dallas. And then I've been to Vancouver, British Columbia. And the highlight amongst all those places is Central, Virgilio Martinez's Central in Lima. It's number six in the world, I believe. And actually, I deserve, I think it deserves to be higher. It was just a fantastic, stupendous meal. The, I did the longer tasting, which ended up being 16 dishes, 16 courses. And it's arranged, uh, well, each dish is accompanied by, along with the ingredients, the altitude of which the main ingredients came from, which was rather unique. Um, it's just kind of added to the, the specialness of the meal. And like each and every dish was compelling because many of the ingredients I had never even encountered before. I can't even pronounce most of them. So it was, and, and Rogelio moved, he and his wife moved to a new compound uh, this year in the summer. So the, the, the compound is just spectacular. You walk in and there are three different gardens with three different soils. So they can pr- plant different, you know, different plants, different vegetables, depending on you know, the soil. And you walk in and there's Central is on the first floor. Male Bar, which is an outstanding uh, bar. They use a lot of fermentation, a lot of the cocktails. So Male Bar is also on the first floor. Virgilio's sister has a research kind of area in the first floor. And Pia Leon, Virgilio's wife, Pia Leon has a new restaurant called Kale, Kyle, and on the second floor. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit later. But um, that so was what, what's the idea out. behind the altitude? I mean, is it just because Peru has the high peaks and then the ocean is right? Well? So you know, and it starts from like minus twenty five meters to up to three or four thousand meters high. So you get the Andean ingredients and the Amazonian ingredients. Do you think they ever get a fish in? They're like, how deep was this fish? And the fish was <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> Dude, you have to twenty three point seven meters, but it really is spectacular. The new compound is spectacular. So if you get a chance, um, go to Lima, Peru, and go to Central. But there's there's much to love about Lima. I went to Mido, which is number seven in the world. Amaz, IK. I went to just maybe like I think about fifteen restaurants, and it was it was really a culinary experience. Uh, can I ask you uh, the rough price for central i mean this being one of the top 10 restaurant experiences in the world is it super expensive i left it uh i think it was like 550 peru souls um which i don't know what the conversion is okay Uh, but that that did not include tip but that included the non-alcohol i got the non-alcohol non-alcoholic pairings which also was spectacular um again peruvian ingredients and then they use it to make different juices fermentations and it was memorable i think that's about 165 dollars. no way really 550 times 0.3 
That's the conversion rate I'm seeing on Google is 165. That's pretty great. I that, mean, that I, well, your yeah. average, you know, upscale, even restaurant in Portland, 165 is about the max price. So I'm maybe, I hope I, I think it was 550. Like I'm thinking, oh, I thought it was, I thought I did the math, quick math in my head. I thought it was a little bit over 200, but regardless. Um, and, but the meals in Peru are really inexpensive. Mido was really inexpensive, relatively inexpensive too. But so is Mexico City. You go to uh, Puyo, Pujo, you go to uh, Quintonil, you go to Su777. Um, they're, they're relative bargains. That, that makes the whole city a good bargain. So yeah. um, I'm curious, uh, where did you go in Dallas during that unexpected layover? I wanted to go to this place called Lucia. They weren't open on Monday. But I ended up going to John Tsar's Knife Dallas and had a 60-day dry-aged ribeye bone-in. And it was it was very good, but I realized that, you know, I want that that cheesiness, the funkiness, blue cheesiness, the funkiness. So I'm trying to think, I was talking to you yesterday, yesterday about where do, I don't know how far, I don't know how many months it needs to be aged to get that, and I don't know where to get it. We talked yeah, about it a little I bit mean, yesterday. I think locally, where we live in Portland, it's tricky I would say we, we might have the best luck at Renee Erickson's place, which we've talked about before up in Seattle. Cause I was up there and I think I saw, I think I saw hundred day age stuff. Okay. If I remember correctly. So you think when you get to hundred, then it gets kind of, you get that blue cheesiness. Is that, I don't know what the, I, I think how. it depends on the, you know, it depends on the environment it's stored in. So there's a ton of factors behind what right. gives it that. I mean, uh, uh, at a hundred day, you should be. If you can't taste the aging, I think maybe it's not really a hundred days. Or, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe you should be able to taste well. something. You should be able to taste something, and then it can be wild. It can taste bad, and then it can. You can age it for a few months longer. It can start tasting good again. So uh, I want to try to find it. I, I started researching, trying to find it, and uh, Peter Cho said maybe Luger's. Or you looked into Beecher's. Yeah, in. Luger's. I don't know that Luger's is such a classic place. I don't know that they. We're talking about Peter Luger's in New York. I don't, I don't know that they really, um, yeah, go prob- crazy with right. aging. It's like right. that's more like a modern hip thing. Like everyone does, like twenty eight is the industry standard, and then a lot of steakhouses will offer also offer a forty five or sixty. But then it's newer places like the Beatrice Inn in New York that do one hundred and twenty. Or knife in Dallas that do 120 or beyond. No, that knife does, does not. Oh, if they do it, they don't. It's not on the menu. They, I did 60. You did 60. 60. I'm pretty sure. Well, I, I I saw a video on YouTube. I was like just watching videos on dry aged beef because I was kind of getting obsessed with it a few weeks ago. But um, I saw a guy from I think maybe it was Nick Solaris went down and ate like a 400 day aged cut of beef there. So I think they're doing all sorts of weird stuff in the back. I want that. Yeah. Well, then, we both do. I want to fear fearings, Dean fearings place, which is iconic. He's it's that restaurant's been there forever. And I had a solid, solid lunch there, but I think Dallas, Dallas is calling. That's hard. I, I went to two places. I, I know it's to me making a general blanket statement really isn't very fair, but really, I don't know if Dallas has the greatest culinary food scene in the United States. Is it kind of like, I just like imagine like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders and like hairspray. I don't know. <laughs> is it that for food or? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I tried to look for other places to eat during my stay and I could have gone to one or two other places. I ended up just eating at my hotel for dinner because and I just was at 
like a like a double tree. Ooh. It was uh, good. My, my dinner actually was okay. I enjoyed my dinner. Thank you, double tree. <laughs> and then so your travels took you through Miami, which is a place that I think has really seen its food scene go from being really suspect to, you know, where do you even eat in Miami? And then now there's a lot of great places to eat. I lived in Miami in the 1990s. And there really wasn't anything. I lived there for five years. So there really wasn't anything there back then. And now there's there's just so much money pouring in, a lot of it from South America. And a lot and because there is money there, a lot of celebrity chefs open restaurants there. But my favorite restaurant was not from, well, not from, it was from a local celebrity chef, Alter, Brad Kilgore. Um, it's it's hard to describe. I mean, it's it's kind of like French based a little bit, but it's 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 got he's got his own style, very fresh, and I absolutely this is one of the best restaurants in the United States. And he's opening up two other new restaurants this year. He's got two others. He's a young guy, early thirties, and he's doing just uh, just amazing work in Miami. And again, and uh, there's also a, I was staying at a SLS Brickle, and there's a Jose Andres restaurant there called Bazaar Mar, and it's a sea, his, his emphasizes seafood as opposed to like um, he got a Bazaar Meat in Vegas. Um, but I really enjoy Jose's food because it's consistent no matter where you go. I've had his food in D.C. I've had his food in Beverly Hills. I've had his food in Mexico City. I've had his food down in Miami. And it's always just really good. It's com- it's almost like my comfort food now. So you came in here asking me uh, how I feel about all-you-can-eat restaurants. That's kind of fun. I'm, I, I don't know that I either of us go to a lot of them. I used to. I... Uh, the one place now where I still go to an all-you-can-eat restaurant is Korean barbecues. And that's it's pretty common for a Korean barbecue spot to be all-you-can-eat and not necessarily be terrible. I mean, Portland doesn't really have a really high-quality all-you-can-eat KBBQ place, but we do have two or three places that do it. And, you know, with Korean barbecue, you have... The meat quality might not be outstanding, but it's going to be covered in spicy sauce or whatever, so it doesn't matter that much. But there's a place not far from us where you can spend 25 bucks and get all-you-can-eat barbecue. Oh, it's like two hours, really. There's a time limit, but I don't, know if they, <laughs> I, I don't know if you can really stay beyond that. Do you want to name it? It's called K-Town Barbecue, I think it's called. Is it in Beaverton or on 82nd? It's out on 82nd at the cross street is Foster, um, and it's been there for a little bit. They have a similar website to a place in Beaverton, so I think they might be related. And yeah, I mean, food quality is not great, but we spend fifty bucks, and our whole family gets totally stuffed. Oh, fifty bucks total for, for yeah, twenty five each, and then I don't think kids under a certain age pay. So, have you gone to Foco de Chow? I've not, but I heard it's actually pretty good. I know people have gone and said. It's decent for what it is. Isn't yeah, it? it's kind of got like a Vegas vibe into the decor for Portland. I've been. Um, oh. And yeah, it's got that sort of Brazilian style where you have a, I mean, they might have invented it for all I know, but you have a little disc on your table. And yeah. if it's green, that means they just keep bringing you meat. If it's red, that means you stop. And yeah, you can just keep going. Um, it's fun. The, the meat quality is good. You kind of have to figure out which things to order. But yeah. The first restaurant like that that opened in Portland opened up almost like 15, 20 years ago called Brazil Grill. It's near Portland State. I have no idea. I went when it first opened. I have no idea if it's still around. It's absolutely still around and they just did a, a remodel. So they're they're looking clean and looking good. Okay, awesome. And I, I've gone, I used to go to P 
Pizza Hut all you can eat. When I lived in, funny, when I, interesting enough, when I lived in Miami, my friend and I would go to Pizza Hut all you can eat lunches. And I loved that. And, I, and I, I, when I moved back to Portland, I would go to Izzy's all you can eat um, buffets. There's not very many Izzy's anymore. And where else did I go? Hometown Buffet. So I, I used to be a, a buffet aficionado. Of course, Vegas is the epicenter of the quintessential buffet. And the one in Caesars Palace is my favorite. Wynn has a good one, too. Um, so, but yeah, if you want to really get stuffed and really have fun, go to Vegas <laughs> and eat all-you-can-eat buffets. When I was little, my dad took us all to a buffet at a casino I want to say it was in Reno, not Vegas. So we're already like a step below. Uh, and it had an Irish name. It was like uh, Kilpatrick's or Shamrock's or something. And it was, I think it was a $1.99 per person, all you can eat. And <laughs> it was so bad. And I, like, we, my, he hasn't lived it down yet. Um, yeah, $1.99. You pay for what you get. Because the one in Caesar's Palace, I can't remember the exact figure, but it's not cheap. But it's it's really the the epitome of of buffets. You could hardly think of a more like high low comparison than the dollar ninety nine. Yeah, and then next door you have some of these like super expensive restaurants that Vegas has these days. But I mean, the buffets in Vegas aren't really that. I gotta think the buffets can't be more than fifth for dinner fifty fifty five dollars a person. That seems high to me. I don't know. Well, the one in Caesars and the one in Win. Those are the really expensive ones and those are the best we also wanted to talk briefly about the michelin guides keep rolling out and we saw soul came out really recently um so you know i don't know that we need to talk about this too much but i guess there's two new uh, two-star restaurants in seoul one of them's called mingles it's they describe themselves as a modern and you went Korean restaurant. I went a couple years ago. It seemed a little bit more French inspired to me. Um, but, uh, I guess it's a blend of French and Korean. Um, and I think it's deserved the two star. I'm, I don't feel like I have that rating system in my head the way you do, but it was a cool dining experience. So they're in the club and then we'll probably touch on this more in our next episode, depending on when we record. But next up is New York city uh, was that's that's probably the biggest most important guide to the United States? Would you say? Well, I think honestly, I think the culinary epicenter has moved to California, and right now only the Bay Area, San Francisco, but they really cover the Bay Area. Um, is where the most important um, announcement of the United States is really? Yeah. Do you, do you do they cover beyond New York City and for the New York guide? Just Brooklyn. Yeah, they, they don't. They don't even cover Blue Hill Stone Barns. Oh, okay, right, right. Which is controversial, as so much we, as Aubergine is not included in Bay Area. Right, that's your spot. But Bay Area does go up to Napa Valley, which is yes. you know, a good hour, hour and a half drive. And it also track. goes as far as down at, or uh, I don't know, up down across as Manresa in Los Gatos. That's interesting. So you would think New York could expand its footprint a little bit. Yeah, I don't know how far Blue Hill Stone Barns is away from... I think it's only like an hour, maybe less. Do you... Can you just tell me a little bit about, like, 
I feel like there's a distinction between Michelin USA, Michelin Europe, and Michelin, say, the Asian cities that were added more recently. Like, what's the reputation of each? I sometimes hear that the Michelin Guide is too easy on American restaurants. Do you agree with that? Yes, I do. And I think partly because in Europe, that's they've been there for decades and dec- almost 100 years. So they understand most you know they have they understand specifically french cuisine and its offshoots and when you go further and further away from that it gets more and more confusing cuz i think japan specific, tokyo specifically because i've been to tokyo a few times like three or four times in the last four years it, it to me i don't even really pay attention to the tokyo michelin guide because I don't think they really know what they're doing in Tokyo beyond the French restaurants. Like, I understand, like, Azure 45 and the Ritz-Carlton, they got a Michelin star a few years ago, and they deserved it. Um, La Fervescence, French, they deserve it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they understand. Once you, you know, like, I don't think any, I've told this to you, I don't think any sushi restaurant deserves three Michelin stars. I don't think any Tempura restaurant deserves more than, deserves two Michelin stars. Because just, by the process of what it is. Like, I can cut fish. Not very well. Can I cut it like a sushi master? No. Can I make rice? I make rice quite often. I make good rice. I can put... And then it's salt and vinegar. Like, I can kind of do this. But I can't do what, what Garnier does at his restaurant, Six Rue Balzac in Paris. I can't do what um, Yannick Alano does in, at Alano Paris in Le Doyen. So, I mean, yeah, I think... They're really, really are. T- they're tough in, in 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 Europe. Specifically, my experience is mostly London, and and Paris. And I went to Copenhagen this year, so I get you know understand Copenhagen. And but you know like uh, for example, La Sank in Four Seasons. Eric Buffard was a chef there for I don't know five five six seven eight years, and he got up to two Michelin stars. He couldn't get that third Michelin star. He couldn't get that third Michelin star. And I went twice under Buffard, and I love that restaurant. One of like six or seven or eight restaurants that have 20 out of 20. Just just utter perfection. Again, he couldn't get that third Michelin star. So he got moved out, and Christian Lesquier from Le Doyen moved in. And he got, his, he got the third Michelin star within two years. And, you know, it's just one of those things. I thought, to be absolutely honest, I enjoyed my uh, Buffard meals more than I, uh, more than I enjoyed my Lesquier meal at Lasang. But I'm going to go back again in a few days to see what Lasquier is doing. And I want to give it another shot. So I'll be at Lasang in a few days. We're going to talk really briefly about a couple of new or soon to open restaurants that kind of caught our eye. Um, I'll go first. Uh, I, this news sort of just broke uh, yesterday, actually, that um, Eduardo Jordan of June Baby and Solari in Seattle uh, two of my favorite Seattle restaurants is about to open a third spot. That's sort of like a partially it's a cocktail bar waiting area for June baby. And I believe it's right next door to June baby. Uh, but this place is called Lucinda grain bar. And by day they're going to be serving grain bowls and interesting pastas and press sandwiches that all sort of highlight ancient grains. Um, sort of like, all coming out of this like bread lab scene, this whole Washington state grain revival thing that it even influences restaurants here in Portland. Um, 
And so they're going to be open all day. And at night it'll give, you know, mostly it's a place to say, Hey, June baby, we're pretty full, but you can go next door and have a good old fashioned, um, and then come over afterwards. So that's a place that's exciting. I think it's actually opening pretty soon. Um, like before the end of the year soon, maybe even sooner than that. Um, so that'll be a place to watch for the next time you go up to Seattle. That's great. I want to do that. In fact, I'm going to change, I'm going to change things around a bit. I'm not going to talk about, I already talked a little bit about Kyle or Kale, um, Pia Leon's place, which was, it's relatively new, two months old. But I was just thinking like, I'm really excited. You know what I'm excited about? I'm excited about Nightshade, which is Malin's Malin's restaurant that will open at some point. It's hard to know because I think things got delayed a little bit, but I'm, I just, uh, I just love her cooking. I've had her f- food at um, here in Portland when she does pop-ups with Earl Ninsom from Longbond. And I was able to go there during the summer and she was doing some R&D and I, and she, I just I brought over the, some pizza to them in the, in the R&D facility and I got to eat some of Malin's food that day. Uh, that hopefully will be on the nightshade menu and that made me even more excited so i'm looking forward to nightshade which is i hope come going to open before the year ends i'm i'm also interested these are a couple of new places that opened up um in seattle we were talking about seattle and ed's new place that will be opening up but uh i read providence cicero she's a seattle times food critic and she gave a three and a half out of four star review to ascend steak and sushi in Bellevue. I saw that. That was surprising. I know, right? <laughs> Just by that title, I thought, oh, Providence is going to nail that thing. Two and a half, two, two and a half stars. I, I don't mean, I don't know why. Just because it sounds, and if you read the review, it's kind of a glitzy high-end place. And it, it's kind of a place that you don't think it's going to have very good food. But she gave it three and a half out of four stars, so I'm kind of just intrigued by it. And she also gave really good reviews to um, a really good review to Sawyer, uh, which is um, I think is Chef Myers who used to work for Jonathan Sunstrom at Lark. That also sounded promising. So I do need to go up to Seattle and try some of the newer restaurants there. And she did get well. One other thing, she gave four stars out of four stars for only the third time this summer to Tarsenai Jane and that was I went and um, enjoyed my meal there and she deserves four out of four stars I went early on before the concept change when it was still a larger restaurant and I thought they had a lot of kinks to work out so it was really nice to hear uh, from you in Providence that things had improved there I know they had I mean they had a major concept change they went from being a I don't want to say 24 to 40 seat restaurant to I think there are what ten to twelve seats now. I think, I think fewer, maybe. Oh, maybe about ten, eight to ten. Eight to ten, and it's tasting menu only now. Correct. And I mean, uh, that's that's a sign of pretty extreme confidence from them, I would say. Um, but maybe it's also just easier for them to create the experience they want to experience when they only have to think about right, you know, a handful of guests, and they're cooking the same thing for each of them. I've only had a few world class meals in the Pacific Northwest. And I think there are only four world-class chefs in the Pacific Northwest. Based on my meals, it'd be, it'd be Perfecta Rocher from Tarsen I Jane, Justin Woodward, my guy. So I guess I'm playing favorites there. Um, Blaine Wetzel 
from Lemmy Island. I guess only. Oh yeah, Lightner. Matt Lightner. He's here. He's a world class. He's still here. He's still here working at New Seasons. I I think. I think he's still working at New Seasons. Yeah, he's he designed some. Uh, ready to eat or you know eat uh, cook at home meal kits for new seasons which is cool it seems like a lot of people are entering that market and if he's happy good for him but it would be nice for him to go back into the kitchen and open up a restaurant i don't know what he'd do but it'd be fun i'm sure he can do anything he wants anything he sets his mind to well set your uh, mind to <laughs> restaurant a restaurant chef Lightner. um cool can we talk a little bit more about central i'm uh we kind of breezed over that and I, well, I wanted to hear more about your overall Lima experience and maybe I know we, we already talked about Nightshade, which is super cool. Everyone's excited about that. But, you know, my understanding is Pia Leon was, a you know, an equal partner in Central and yet kind of got written out of the narrative there a little bit and I mean, at least that's what I've read. And she has her own place now. Um, they're not doing the altitude thing. Right. <laughs> but what what can you tell me about that restaurant? And was the meal, did it strike you the way the central meal did? Or is it, it more it, casual? It, or it what? did not. And partly that could be because it, j- it literally just opened, I think, in July. So that's not, she still needs to work out how, she, you know, she's still so new. But I don't think it is meant to be a central 2.0. It's much more straightforward. Um, I fewer of the ingredients were unfamiliar to me, and the and the and the preparations once again, I they weren't more simplistic, but they were more casual. It's a more casual place. It's a it's a beautiful restaurant on the second floor. She there's there's like a counter where all the chefs are, but there's you can't sit at the counter, and there are just maybe eight or nine tables. Um, and it was a, a, it's an enjoyable meal. Um, I don't know how, how it's in, a, it's one of the best new restaurants I've eaten out this year, but I don't know. We'll see how it develops over the coming months and the coming years. I didn't know what to expect because, you know, I just didn't know what to expect. Cause that was my, I, I ate at Kyle before I ate at, um, Central, and and in case anyone's trying to look this place up, is it K J O L L E? Is that the spelling? K J O L L E. Yes. Hmm. Did you do any like street food eating or ceviche spots or like the stuff? No, I would like? no. I I I, <laughs> I did a ceviche at um at Lamar. Yeah, the famous yeah. spot. Yeah, which was which is Gaston Curio's first Lamar, and it was and got to have ceviche somewhere, and it was fantastic. And I went to his other restaurant, Astre y Gaston, which I guess I believe is number 39 in the world right now. Uh, Deserved at that spot? I mean, it's, Well, it's a little bit high. Yeah. I think. Okay. Uh, but, again, I mean, you, I encountered so many different dishes that were so foreign to me. It kind of blew me away. Uh, there's this restaurant called IK Restaurant, which was... The, the, the original owner, I, IK stands for Iman Kitsich, and he died right before the restaurant was going to open. So his brother moved from Albui, who was working at Albui at the time, uh, moved back to Lima to open the restaurant for him. And it's now the chef. It's a gorgeous restaurant. And it's a tasting menu only. And it was, again, it was, it was fun. It was, I mean, I, I would encourage anyone who wants to go to Lima to go because it's not that expensive. It's 
relatively speaking, and you get to eat a lot of different, you get to encounter ingredients that you just don't see here in Portland. And so that's always fun. Well, our one sort of big connection to Lima right now is, uh, if you happen to be in Portland, is um, Paish in Southwest, where the chef actually started at Cevicheria El Mar, the place you ate at, and helped open their San Francisco outpost of that restaurant and then came up here, opened a restaurant to great fanfare, and then essentially closed it down and reopened as a vegan morning only cafe with no ceviche, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, there's Andina too. There's Andina as well. And there's a new restaurant in North Portland that. Yeah, I I went there. What's it called? Casa Zoria. That's right. And it was okay. Yeah. I think they need some things to work on, even though there were a couple of positive reviews out there. It read a, to me, it read a bit like a, like Andina. It seemed it was a bit like eating at Andina because they came. The chef did come from Andina, I huh, believe. Cool, but it, it it was fine, and um, you know, it's, we're in Portland, you know, so you gotta expect. You know, what can I say? Um, the the ceviche at Paish was very good in its moment. For, I never for went Portland, for Portland. I, I never went. Yeah. I, I mean, when that, when all that happened, because way way in for me, you know, Southwest Portland, it's way out there. For me, so was, I couldn't go, so I didn't go. I went. I've gone once since then, but after it changed into whatever it is now, I spent a lot of time talking with Kevin Alexander, who's the national critic for Thrillist.com. Um, he came through town and named the burger at Stanich's the best burger in America a year ago, and Stanich's has basically been closed ever since. I mean, I think they made it a couple months afterwards, but we were talking a bit about that because. Uh, Paish had a, got a restaurant of the year award locally. And I don't know if that was the impetus or what, but the chef just basically shut down his dinner service almost immediately afterwards. It was like, you know, I think he just wanted to surf. His name's Jose Luis de Cosio. I think, you know, I think maybe, I, I don't know what the reason was or why they decided to do that, but you know, he, he, he's a surfer Maybe it was just a bit too much pressure and it, it was becoming something he didn't want it to be. And he decided to kind of just shift gears. Um, it was really interesting. I also think I, I kind of talked with him briefly and I about it. And I think he didn't think Portland Diners, I hate to put words in his mouth and I'm hope maybe I shouldn't even say anything, but I just kind of think that they weren't, they didn't, they, people didn't understand that they needed to pay whatever the, it was, wasn't cheap. The ceviches were not cheap, correct? Weren't they in the 30s to 40s? Not on my visits, but I, I believe... I If you'd said low 20s, I would have agreed with you. No, I think they were more expensive, and I think Portland Portlanders just, Maybe didn't, by the uh, end. just didn't understand. I don't know, and I don't remember. I don't remember it being 30s or 40s, but okay. it, um, I'll have to go back and look. Yeah, I, I, I regret not going and trying his, his, his food when it was... When he had dinner service. All right, so very, very briefly, we like to just kind of chat about sports right at the end of our pod. First game of the World Series is tonight. I'm very excited. Well, you know, this this pod's probably not going to come out until the weekend, so... Chris yeah. Sale versus Clayton Kershaw. The two... Statistically, two of the best pictures we've had in the last, you know, in this era. And Kershaw is truly, as I said in episode two, is one of the best pitchers in the history of Major League Baseball based on 
just regular metrics or advanced metrics. And so we'll see. But he, he seems to crumble. That's perception that he crumbles during playoffs. Not like David Price. I mean, David Price really does suck in the playoffs, except for the last game where he threw a gem. So that was, that, to me, that's going to be the key to see what happens when whoever wins tonight wins tonight. I mean, they got two of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. So it's, I think it could be a crapshoot. Then, you know, how's Price going to pitch? Is he going to pitch like the last game or is he going to pitch like he did before, which is one of the highest ERAs, if not the highest ERAs, for any pitcher who had 10 or more decisions? I don't know. I mean, I just, I would lean, I know you're, you, I think you don't like the Red Sox, but I would probably lean toward the Red Sox in the series. I, I just feel like they've won three times in recent memory. And, you know, it's been a while for the Dodgers. They've come really close. Uh, I'm also an East Bay native. And so we kind of root against the Giants by nature. So I didn't know the that. Dodgers are kind oh, of okay. my, uh, yeah, the Dodgers are kind of my, de facto national league team. So, uh, I'm not crazy for it, but it was cool. And you know, they, they pitched Kershaw in the, in the ninth, in the final game of the NLCS. And it was, it seemed like maybe it was like a confidence boosting thing because he has struggled in the playoffs over the years. Um, and he pitched well. And so here we go. It's going to be really exciting. Yeah. I, I just hope, I mean, I, I just don't want to sweep. It would be compelling to see a seven-game series like we did last year. Yeah, it's been the playoffs have been competitive and exciting for me at least all the way through. Unfortunately, I most likely will be on the road, so I don't know how many games I can see. I'll be able to see game one, so I don't know. We'll see. All right, well, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and hey, we've got uh, sound quality should be a lot better than the last couple of episodes. So uh, thanks for bearing with us on those and. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Walk-Ins Welcome. Thank you. Good eats.